I know many of you did not have an opportunity to, to meet my mom. My mom was shy. And that's an understatement. My mom was painfully shy. She was so shy that when you would, were with her, even if you were an extrovert, you would feel very awkward. But I want to tell you something about my mom. My mom had a ministry. And do you know where that ministry was? It was in a prison. It was in a prison in which she led a Bible study with murderers. My wife had the privilege of being invited one day with her to that Bible study. And my mom is painfully shy. And she sat there and she just simply shared from her heart. And as the women went around and shared, some of them shared just where they had come from. And my wife immediately find it, found out just how horrible some of those women's past lives were. But my mom, my mom, as painfully shy as she was, just said, this is something God has called me to do. And I'm going to just tell you right now that if God has called you to something, it doesn't matter how terrified you are. It doesn't matter how fear-filled or worried or unworthy you feel. It doesn't matter how gifted you think you are not. Because if God has called you to something, then God will provide the gifting and the ability for you to be able to do that. And I'm going to tell you right now, God has called every single one of you to in some way be the mouthpiece of, of Jesus. And you're going to say, I, I, I can't speak publicly. It doesn't matter. That's fine. You may never have to do that. And you might think, well, you know what? I can't even carry on a conversation. I just, I mean, how do I talk about the Lord? I've never done that. Well, guess what? This woman hadn't either. And we're going to see her story unfold. I'm going to read that to you in John chapter 4. And I'm going to look at four quick things. And I can spend a lot of time, but four quick things we're going to look at. And my prayer is that you're going to walk away and you're going to say, wow, I can do that. John chapter 4. We're going to pick up the story with verse 27. Just then his disciples returned and were surprised to find him talking with a woman, but no one asked, what do you want? Or why are you talking with her? Understand she was both a Samaritan, enemies of Jews, and a woman. Then leaving her water jar, the woman went back to the town and said to the people, come, see a man who told me everything I ever did. Could this be the Christ? They came out of the town and made their way toward him. Meanwhile, his disciples urged him, Rabbi, eat something. You ever had your mom come? Eat something. Come on, eat something. My, my mom would say, Michael, you're, you're so skinny. Drink your milk. You're going to dry up and blow away. Except she didn't say it with that accent. It was more of a southern accent. But he said to them, I have no food to eat. Excuse me, I have food to eat that you know nothing about. <laughs> then his disciples said to each other, could someone have brought him food? My food, said Jesus, is to do the will of him who sent me and to finish his work. Do you not say, four months and then the harvest? I tell you, open your eyes and look at the fields. They are ripe. For harvest, even now, 
The reaper draws his wages. Even now the harvest, the harvests, excuse me, he, even now he harvests the crop for eternal life so that the sower and the reaper may be glad together. That's the saying, one sows and another reaps is true. I tell you to reap what you have not worked for. Excuse me, I sent you to reap what you have not worked for. Others have done the hard work. Church, sowing is hard work. Others have done the hard work, and you have reaped the benefits of their labor. Many of the Samaritans from that town believed in him because of the woman's testimony. He told me everything I ever did. So when the Samaritans came to him, they urged him to stay with them, and he stayed two days. And because of his words, many more became believers. They said to the woman, we no longer believe just because of what you, have, what you said. Now we have heard for ourselves, and we know that this man really is the Savior of the world. So how is this doable for all of us as we look at what has happened in this woman's testimony? First thing I want us to see is what the disciples pointed out at the very end here. Excuse me, you left your water jar. Can I just ask you, why do you think she left her water jar? That she just wasn't thirsty? Of course not. She got the water for a reason, but she left the water jar. And, and let me just remind you, that she more than likely came back for that water jar later when after she told some people, the townspeople came for Jesus to talk to them. She came back later, but why did she leave the water jar there? Something happened in her life that just upended her, upended the way she thought, upended this sense of tragedy and purposeful, purposelessness and the sense of unworthiness and condemnation in her life. Jesus said something that turned that all around. She was so excited about what has just transpired, she dropped everything. And I'm just, I'm just going to tell you this. When Jesus gets a hold of your life, he does something. He changes you. He changes you. He changes the way you think. He changes the way you view the world. He changes the way you look at God. He changes the way you look at your marriage. He changes the way you look at your job. Everything in your life, he changes that. And for this woman, she is beginning to experience that change. She's beginning to experience that change. Something is igniting a fire in her chest. Something is catching a hold of her. We use a card, and it's in the back there. We've still got plenty of them. And on the front, it says, Got Hope. And we've used these, and, and there was a time in which we were going door to door, and for many of us, man, was that scary. And, and you had never done something like that. And I'm not saying at the end of this message, one of my points is, well, you just need go, to go door to door. That is not my point. And if you think it is, you're really missing what I'm trying to say today. I just want you to look at this card. 
And that's what we do. We just, we just show the people the card and let the card say something. Now, there's a reason why we do this. Because in this picture on the left-hand side, you see an apartment complex that apparently has been bombed or a tornado has ripped apart, and it says something. It says devastation. Now, whether people are aware of it or not, when you ask them, which of these two pictures do you identify with, the one that shows devastation or the one that shows the cross? Now, most people when in our culture, when you say anything about the cross or Christianity, it's going to say something along the lines of hope. And so in the very beginning, at the very front there, it says, got hope, you know, like got milk, got hope. And the, you ask them, which of these pictures do you identify with? And many people, if they're honest, will say, this one right here. Because church, here is the reality for those who don't know Jesus. He is not their remedy for all of life's problems. He's not. He can be. And that's why we're even, that's why we would even show them the card. We want them to, they, they're they experiencing this, whether they realize it or not. And we want them to experience the hope of the cross and the, 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 the redemption and the salvation that is found in the cross. This is what we're wanting to do. But here's the bottom line. This, this woman, she drops her jar. Can I just ask you, do you think that she knows the four spiritual laws or the two question tests that we have asked people and then it kind of takes four or five steps to explain the gospel to them? I mean, these tracks are super important. They lay out the gospel. The gospel is the power of God into salvation. But the truth is very few of us can articulate well the gospel. And see, that's okay. This woman couldn't do that. As a matter of fact, she knew nothing about the cross. She dropped her water jar because she was beginning to find hope. You see, she was stuck in a religion that was all about good works. It was all about ritual. It was all about observation, things that you could see, and the, the priest doing things. The Samaritan religion was very similar to Judaism. They worshiped on a different mountain, and to some degree, some of it had been infiltrated with paganism just because of what had happened 700 years before when, excuse me, the northern kingdom of Israel, many of them were taken away from their cities, planted in other Assyrian cities. Assyria was the conquering kingdom at the time. And those people, pagans, worshiping other gods, were brought into their towns. And there was a reversal. And they brought, those people brought in paganism. And Judaism and paganism began to meld together. But not completely. It's not as if the Samaritans were completely off track. They embraced the first five books of the Bible. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. And in those five books, you can still discover the promise of a prophet. The promise of a messiah. She knew this. Judaism and Samaritan, the Samaritans had at least enough overlap for her to realize they were looking for the Messiah. And Jesus, he did something. He said something. Enough 
enough for her to realize this is the Messiah. And hope is beginning to stir up within her because this connection with God in the text or in the story anyway, the word worship was used. Worship is that connection that we make with God. This connection Jesus was telling her in this video is not going to take place in a temple. It's not going to be a location. It's not going to be on a mountain. It is going to be in your heart, which said to this woman, it is available to you. It is personal. God, being spirit, wants to take up residence here. Jesus used that term living water. See, all of this said hope. A well of living water springing up. Do you remember what Jesus said? To eternal life. Eternal life isn't just heaven. Eternal life is moving from devastation because we are all broken people. Sin has done that, church. This woman knew that. That was going to take her from devastation to hope that was going to be found in this Messiah. So I want to start there. Because if you have experienced salvation in Christ, you have this hope. Now, it's, it's very possible, and I get this, that over the years, sometimes that fire begins to dwindle and feel like it's going out. And through no fault of God's, your life, as you look over it, does not feel very victorious or very attractive. So why would I want to tell people and invite them to this? And here is why. Because it is so easy for us to start off with what is right and good and true. And church, we veer off course. This isn't God's fault. And I want to tell you that if you veered off course today, God is calling you back to experience this hope that is found only in Jesus Christ. Because in that hope, there is excitement, there is passion, there is life, there is eternal life because of the living water that springs up within you. And maybe you feel that well is run dry. I'm going to tell you what. God can allow that water to flow in your life again as it did in the beginning. And this excited the woman. Every single one of us, even us introverts, and I am an introvert. Man, I remember the first time, and this was part of my job description, I had to go door to door asking questions and if I could evangelize. Can I just tell you, man, I was terrified. And I just thought, I'm making $5 an hour to do this? Ah, I, I, it was so hard. But anyway, I'm not saying you have to go door to door, but do you know why I did it? And, and trust me, it wasn't for the money, okay? I, I, I did it because, church, I fell in love with my Jesus, with my Savior. He was the one who gave me hope, and he ignited that. And... and I'm just going to give you some baby steps. We're going to find that this woman, the first thing she did, it's just a little baby step. But wow, did it impact people. I'm going to give you that next. Number two, it's, this is the baby step. All she says, look at verse 29. What does she say? Come and see a man. That's all she says. 
Come and see a man. She adds something to that. But I want to start here. Come and see a man. Does she share the four spiritual laws? Does does she explain in deep theological fashion how someone can find Jesus? All she does is she points to him. I know where he is. Come see a man. Now, I didn't check the Greek here. It's probably simply two, maybe three words. Come see a man. That's it. And as she is saying this, the people are wondering what's gotten into her. Why could this be so special? It's certainly not another one of her romantic attractions because she would not be telling us to come see him. All right? She is excited. Something has ignited in her heart. Come see a man. All she did, church, was she pointed to Jesus. Then she said, he told me everything I did. He told me everything I did. Jesus shared just enough with her for her to realize that he was not just some ordinary man, but that she was simp- that he was truly the Messiah. Because how else would he have known this? Now, there was a little bit that was added to this because the text simply says that he, he, just, he, he said, just go get your husband and bring him here and I will share both with both of you this living water. And she says, well, and he, I can't. And she says, well, this is true because you've been married five times and the man you're living with is not your own. She didn't, he didn't talk to her about the first two husbands. But how, how possible would that have been? Because she walks away saying, he told me everything about me. And I want to, the first thing that Jesus has to do when he begins to speak and breathe hope into you is he peers into your life and he sees everything. Can you imagine how the people thought with her saying, he told me everything I've ever done? Their immediate response is, right? Oh, my word. Everything? Because the townspeople knew at least almost everything, and it was shameful. Five husbands, and the one you're living with right now isn't even your husband. Somewhere in her past, as she's being brought up in her Samaritan religion, she veered off course. The Samaritans don't teach this. In the Mosaic law, you were not to divorce like this. Somewhere in her life, there was hurt, and she responded to that hurt in a wrong way. Oh, my goodness. How many of us have done that? We have been hurt. Maybe we responded in anger. Maybe we responded, and we didn't lash out, but we kept it in, and we became bitter. And we became not just bitter towards others or a parent or a spouse. We became bitter towards God as well. And God, where are you in my tragedy? 
And they had recently, in the very beginning, that was episode eight of season one, and in episodes one and two, you hear the story, you see the story of Mary Magdalene. Wow, does that rip you apart. And what she went through when she was a little girl and losing her dad and to the present and how Jesus in his love just reached in and healed her. I won't get into that story. Amazing story if you've not watched it. Jesus peers into your life and he sees everything. And he doesn't push you away. Jesus, with his words, embraced her accepted her. Are you going to reject me too? No. As the Messiah, he came. And we're going to get into this later as the Savior of the world. Well, that included this Samaritan woman. In view of her past, lurid as it was, shipwrecked as it was, hopeless as it felt in her own life, Jesus, and I love the way he says, I purposely came to Samaria for you. And she begins to weep, and you can feel her tears. I came here for you. And she said, oh my goodness, I'm going to tell everybody. And he says, I'm counting on it. (laughs) I love that. Jesus is counting on your life, not just changing, but for you to just tell people, come and see a man. But it it, it doesn't just end there. She doesn't just say, come see a man. But she eventually begins to share her testimony. Look there in verse 39. Many of the Samaritans from that town believed in him because of the woman's, what? Testimony. Now, Her testimony at least included, he told me everything I ever did. I cannot imagine that that is all that she shared, but that's what John tells us, and that's sufficient. Maybe taking some artistic license or literary license, we might add a few things, like he said certain things in my past that nobody ever knew, but he did. And she simply begins to testify to who this man is. And I just want to ask you, can you do something as simple as that? With your heart impassioned and excited, God has rescued me in view of me and my unworthiness and my brokenness, my devastation, personal devastation, and and Jesus has brought hope into my life. Can you just simply say, "I, I found hope and I found it in a person and his name is Jesus. You don't have to go to seminary to say that. You don't have to go to a Bible college to say that. You don't have to know Greek to say that. They wouldn't understand you anyway if you tried to say it in Greek. You just simply have a testimony. Jesus rescued me. You may not know the four spirituals. You may not have studied and memorized scripture passages, though if you have, that's great. Use it. She just shares her testimony. And that testimony spoke of devastation and hurt and unworthiness and rejection. 
I don't know all that she shared, but she shared at least enough for them to say, really, we have to check this out. Because many believed her. They believed her testimony. And I'm not going to say that they immediately got saved. I'm not going to say that. But they took the next step, and they went to see Jesus. And somewhere along the path, they encountered not just Jesus, the person of Jesus, but they experienced this living water that he was promising. Now, I don't know what Jesus said over those two days. I'm just simply saying this. Step one that you can take is come see a man. This is what he did for me. 60 seconds. You can share that in an airport. You can share that in a conversation. A neighbor that's talking about her husband getting ready to leave her. And she shares her devastation. And in 60 seconds, because this is all that you know, maybe. Man, that must hurt so much. Can I just tell you that my heart has hurt in the past and I found an answer. And all I can tell you is that answer is a person. It's not him necessarily fixing all of your problems. But he will heal you. His name is Jesus. That took less than 60 seconds for me to say. I didn't throw in any Greek or Hebrew either. You can do that. Because if you believe in Jesus, you have a testimony. How simple is that? Now, now you can take five minutes, and, and we actually walk people through, and we've walked many of you through this, how to create four different aspects of your testimony and how Jesus worked in your life and maybe at least one element of the gospel that he really spoke to you or maybe all you know four elements that I, I, I teach concerning the gospel. You can share all of that. Maybe it's going to take you 30 minutes, but most of us, we can't do that. But we can all take 60 seconds and say, come see a man. And she shared how he began to change her. You know what? I can remember when I first gave my heart to Christ, I was 14 years of age. I grew up in a Christian home, but at 14 years of age, I had an event with, with Jesus that I had not experienced before. And I stepped into a relationship that I had only heard about. And now I stepped into that relationship as my older brother told me about Jesus and just simply challenged me, Mike, trust in him. Leave your past behind. Just follow Jesus. Trust in him today. And I did. Over the next few years, I, you know, here and there, I would start reading the Bible. Of course, I was going to church because I had to. And, but God began to change me. At age 16, I had an event with the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit... Something changed in me. When I was at school now, I, I began telling people about Jesus every day. God had ignited a fire in me. And you know how I did it? I didn't stand on a, on, on a chair and say, hey, everybody, I, in the cafeteria, I've got some really good news for you. I would probably last 60 seconds before the janitor or the principal would excuse me and say, please come into my office. And, they, and the principal would have a sit-down talk with me. I didn't have to do that. And so instead, what I simply did was I just had like six gospel tracks. And they did the talking for me. And I would sit down 
across from someone and I would just start having a conversation with, and I'm an introvert. And that was the hardest part. And I knew these people. Actually, God laid it on my heart to pray for them. And I prayed for as many of them by name as I could. And, and I can remember just simply, all I did was just simply, I said, come see a man. You know how I did that? I put one of the gospel. I just pulled one out. Lord, show me which one. Pulled one out and just said, hey, could you just read that? That's all I did. And I, have, I, I did not, and I did this every day, church. No one, over the next two years, no one ever said no. They, they just didn't. Maybe they just wanted to be polite to me, but they would read it, and I would simply say, so what do you think? How hard is that? What do you think? And all I did was I tried to point them to Jesus. And for some of them, I had multiple opportunities. For some of them, that was it, just that one opportunity. I just sat down and had a little conversation about school and maybe what they were going through and what's their favorite class. And then, and, and I'm sure I was awkward because I was such a squirrely kid when I was that age in high school. And I just, hey, can you read this? And that's all this woman does. Come see a man. Told me everything he knows about me. Oh, my goodness. Everything about my life. Because she had an experience with God. So did I. And, and I didn't know how to communicate it well. I hadn't sat down. It was a couple years later that I went door to door, and I had to learn how to actually relate the gospel in an understandable fashion within five minutes. The, the pastor that hired me just said, Mike, I want you to be able to do this in five minutes. And then I want you to learn another version to be able to present because you may have only two minutes at their door. And so I, I learned a five-minute version and a two-minute version of presenting the gospel. And maybe you know a 30-second one, and it's just simply to show them Jesus. And I, I don't understand it, but I know he forgave me of all of my sins. And I'm a new person now, and I'd like to show him to you. The third thing that I want us to see here is not only does she leave her water jar, not only does she keep it simple, come see a man and share her testimony, Jesus talks about a harvest. And can I just say, and I have felt this, just this, it's easy for us to get discouraged. In our culture, people have been inoculated with the gospel. And, and by that, I simply, just like I was, they've been to church at least enough to have heard something about Jesus and then to at least read something or heard something from a grandma or a grandpa or a saved aunt or uncle or maybe a mom or dad, something about Jesus, and they're just not interested. They're just not interested. Because for them, there is a disconnect between the God that created them and longs to have a relationship with them and, from where, and, and where they're at in their life that day that you're just sharing 30 seconds to 60 seconds sharing with them. There's a disconnect. And many times they don't want to hear it. But church, all we need to do is just simply say, come see a man. He, he's done something in my life and I would love for you to meet him. Instead, I think we get discouraged in our post Christian nation in which our nation was truly founded upon biblical principles. And I'm not saying that everybody in America was saved. Far from it. But at least our nation was founded on biblical Our laws 
came from the Bible. They didn't come from the Quran. They didn't come from the Bhagavad Gita. They didn't come from other, some other, you know, the confessions of Confucius. None of that. It came from the Bible. And at least in our founding, that's where we're at. And, but we as a nation have moved past that. And as I say, many of people in America have been inoculated. Christianity has been spat upon and looked down upon. The church, or the church, the visible church, churches, church buildings. Yes, you know what? Many of them are filled with hypocrites. I've seen them. You've seen them. It's also filled with imperfect Christians. People who are truly saved. And they fumble and they stumble in their walk. And we hurt people. And the world has seen this. And all I'm saying is, Jesus, he doesn't say, you know what, these people are beyond hope. Or these people, you know, the Samaritans, yeah, they're a post-Jewish nation. They truly were, by the way. And there's no hope for them. You know, you're going to be trying to reap a harvest, and it is going to be so hard. I totally get it if you want to give up. He doesn't say anything like that. You know what he says? He says, the harvest is ripe. Church, I want to tell you today, the harvest is ripe. It's white. It is ready to be harvested. It may not feel like that to you. And I'm saying this because this is a barrier for some of us, and we can get discouraged. Maybe we've shared our faith several times, and nothing has happened. Can I tell you, I shared the gospel when I was in high school hundreds of times, hundreds, close to 500 times. I did see some salvations, but can I tell you, not very many. Jesus says here, others have done the hard work, the sowing. See, that's hard work. I did hard work. I wasn't real gifted in being able to call people to follow Jesus. I I just, I wasn't skilled in that. My personality certainly did not measure up to doing that. I just could point them to Jesus. It says here that the sower and the reaper, or so that the sower and the reaper may be glad together. This woman was a sower. I I don't get the impression that when they initially believed, they believed in Jesus as their Lord and their Savior. I don't see that. But after they came to Jesus, see, they did. This woman was a sower. She said some really simple things, and people said, I want to check it out. I want to go see this man. And they came to Jesus. And when they talked with him, it says here that they asked him to stay two days. So my point here, number three, is the harvest is ripe. But I want to conclude with this. Eventually, the person you're talking with has to encounter Jesus. Now, it might simply be that when you're done talking with them and they say, well, interesting, um, and that's it, you, you just say, why don't you read the gospel according to John? Just point them to Jesus. How hard is that? Read the gospel according to John. Six words. 
So simple. Read the gospel according to John. Or maybe Matthew, Mark, or Luke. John does have a tendency to focus on this idea of salvation. And so I'm going to, I, I want you to, to encourage you <laughs> that eventually they do need to listen to and encounter the person of Jesus. Maybe they read through the Gospel of John. Maybe you invite them to something like a Sunday morning service or an event in which the gospel is presented. And that's when they get saved. I don't know when the Samaritans came to Christ. It says here, they said to the woman in verse 42, we no longer believe just because of what you said. Now we have heard for ourselves and we know that this man really is the savior of the world. That's a deep theological conclusion that this woman could never bring them to. But Jesus could. Jesus, perhaps, we don't know this, perhaps he began to share with them Isaiah 53. Twelve verses written 700 years earlier found in the book of Isaiah. Isaiah 53 that talk about, talks about Jesus. All we like as sheep have gone astray. Each one of us has turned to his own way. But the Lord has laid on him the sins of us all. Who is him? It's Jesus. Jesus is the Savior. Jesus is that Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. Jesus you know, some people are just, they have different needs. And you may not know what those needs are. These Samaritans just simply needed a witness. 1 Corinthians 1, Paul says the Jews need a wonder. They need miracles. The Greeks, they need wisdom. I don't know what this person is. I don't know what your neighbor needs. I know they need Jesus, and everything that they are needing is found in him. Some of them need just simply a witness. Some of them, they want, to, they want something tangible. Show me a wonder. Show me a miracle. Others, they want to get into it and think about it and, and theologize and philosophize. And, and <clears throat> I'm not saying that's wrong, but they have questions. And maybe you can't give that to them, but you can give them a witness. Some need a witness. Some need a wonder, and some need wisdom. But I'm going to tell you this, you can give them a witness. And in that witness, show them Jesus. That's all you have to do. Just show them Jesus. A witness simply testifies. In court, they take the stand. I promise to tell the truth, whole truth, and nothing but the truth. See, it's all focused on truth. Can you just simply share the truth of what Jesus did in your life? It might be 60 seconds. It might take five minutes. You might ramble like I do at times, right? By the way, I'm out of time here. Um, but you can share Jesus. You can share the truth with them. Church, can you feel the simplicity of this this morning? Here is a town that she is from, and she just shares something so simple. And the townspeople said, he told you everything? <laughs> wow. 
I got to check this out. And they came. And when they talked with Jesus, when your friend reads the gospel, when he hears the gospel from someone who's sharing the gospel, the, the preaching to them, they encounter Jesus, they understand it. Somewhere in this process of sharing your testimony and them discovering and meeting Jesus, I'm going to pray they will have an event that will change their life. And they will discover that he is the savior of the world. I tell you what, when I was 14 and I encountered the savior of the world, he changed my life. For two years, it was just, just slow growth. 16 and, and, and it, having an event with the spirit, it changed my life even more. But when I stepped back and, and I would look at it, you know, up close, I couldn't see that change. But when I stepped back and I realized, wow, look at the change that he did in my life. Maybe that's what you need to do. Just take a step back from your life. It, it, it's so hard. Sometimes we get focused on that. But step back and look at what God has done in your life. Look at how he has changed you. Look at how he is indeed the savior of the world, how he rescued you. And allow that to excite your heart again. And then just tell somebody, come and see a man. How simple is that? We no longer believe just because of what you said. Now we have heard for ourselves and we know that he is the savior of the world. The next section that you could read, I'd encourage you to do that. Jesus, Jesus here does not appear to do any miracles, but he rebukes the Jews who have the truth, and he says, you, you're always looking, you have to have a miracle, don't you? Now, Jesus does a miracle, by the way, in that story that follows. But even the Samaritans, they were more white and ripe and ready to be harvested than the Jews were. I want us to just stand right now. Can you agree with me in prayer right now? As a church, the most profound thing that we can do is this. Leave the water jar behind, guys. I mean, she eventually came back for it, but the most significant thing in your life is not the food and the drink that you got to put on your table to support your family. It is that living water that's only found in Jesus. He will take care of the rest. So, Father, I just pray right now that you would be speaking to every single one of our hearts and that, God, that you would be showing us the simplicity of what Jesus is asking his disciples to do to reap. And what this woman did, Father, I, I, I pray just help us as an introvert, Lord God, I know I need this. But Lord, to just simply say, come and see a man. He told me everything about me. And I just, I just ask, Father, as simple as that is, help us as we do that. Lay people on our heart. Show us people that we can simply ask. Invite them to see this person, Jesus. And I ask you, Lord God, that you would privilege us with not just being sowers, 
but to be reapers as well. Because the harvest truly is ripe. Empower every single one of us, God, for this. In Jesus' name, amen.